It is our privilege and honor today to have Reverend Dr. Ian Fitzpatrick bring the message on this, the occasion of our 42nd anniversary. Pastor Ian was the minister of our West End Church that we refer to as the Emmanuel Church of the Nazarene. He has had other ministries before that as well. Um, many of you here got to know him as our district superintendent for many years. He served so wonderfully, effectively, and faithfully. And today, now, he currently serves as the national director for the Church of the Nazarene across Canada. So he has responsibilities in overseeing our denomination across this wonderful country of ours. We love him and appreciate him greatly. And as uh, many of you who are in the prayer meetings know, we pray for him and his wife and family on various occasions. And a lot of you got to know him when he was our revival speaker a few years ago, and you were blessed by his preaching on that occasion. And so, would you just welcome him today to Rosewood Church of the Nazarene. God bless you. Amen. Well, good morning, and good morning to those of you who are viewing uh, at home. We trust that the Lord is blessing. It's so good to see you, and it's good to hear these testimonies and this worship on this very beautiful November day. On the 42nd anniversary of this church, 1979, I know where we were as uh, a young couple, just two years married, Pat and I were in Beirut, Lebanon, serving as missionaries during the Civil War. I do remember that November of that year was a pretty horrendous month in the city. And at the self-same time, you were starting a work here in Toronto, Canada. And now all these years later, here we are in the providence of God, crossing all the miles to come and celebrate a wonderful milestone. But I've thought about celebration of an anniversary or a birthday, and I have discovered over the years that we cannot adequately celebrate the present without remembering the past. That just seems to be the nature of things. That just seems to be the way life is organized and designed. Last Monday was a very significant day, not the least of which for the reason that we've just heard, that Jeremy had successful heart surgery, and even though there were a few rocky days following that, he now is making great progress. But last Monday, the 1st of November, is significant in the church calendar for another reason. So it follows the last day of October, which we all know is uh, celebrated in the evening with kids trick-or-treating and so on. But the 1st of November is designated by the church as All Saints Day. All Saints Day. Now, even though... All Saints Day used to be celebrated in May, and some say it is celebrated on the 18th of November. The church has pretty much decided it's going to be the 1st of November every year. Pope Gregory III 
instituted the dedication of St. Peter's Basilica and combined the two things together in November. Now, it's not just a Catholic celebration. In fact, after the Reformation, the Lutherans and the Anglicans, and wait for it, the Methodists, yes, our very own lineage celebrates All Saints Day. In fact, if you go to Wikipedia, you will see the Church of the Nazarene listed as one of the denominations that celebrates it too. Now, I don't know to what extent we actually celebrate it, but we do align ourselves with the memory of the saints that have gone on before us. Now, I know at every district assembly all across this country, there is a part of that assembly that is called the Memoirs Service, and it's dedicated to those who have gone on to their reward in the past church year. And you, you've been a part of that. You've heard the beautiful music. You've watched as the names are scrolled on the screen. You've maybe even represented your church to come and take a flower from the vase off the communion table. We, we do that. But I tell you today, at the 42nd anniversary of this wonderful local congregation, I want us to take a few moments to remember those who were here during the first iteration of the congregation, who were here in Asian court, who have occupied these seats year after year. The word of the Lord says in Revelation 14, 13, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. From now on, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor for their deeds will follow them. Their deeds will follow them. Their response to the call from the pastor down through the years to find ways, creative ways, to be about the business of outreach, those deeds follow them. Their hours of prayer their intercession on behalf of others, those deeds follow them. And you know who they are. You can look around the sanctuary this morning and you remember exactly what seat they used to occupy. You can perhaps smell the perfume or the cologne. You, you, you knew what they were going to be wearing. You could hear their testimonies. You can visualize those folk right now. You can hear their words of encouragement. And sometimes maybe even their words of rebuke and correction. I want to say to you that this morning, they are as much a part of this 42nd anniversary as we are. And there is scriptural proof for that. Hear the word of the Lord from Hebrews chapter 12 and just three short verses. 
where the writer to Hebrews, perhaps that is Paul, not sure for certain, but the writer to the Hebrews says these words, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful man, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The word of the Lord. Who are they? Who are the folk who are the great cloud of witnesses? Well, I've described some of them this morning. You've been able to put names and faces to the description I've just provided. But they are the people whose lives tell the story of living faith and dying faith. I don't mean faith that dies, but I mean faith that is exercised as much at the point of death as it is in the living years. The folk who don't need faith anymore, let's put it that way the folk who have gone on to their reward, the folk who in many ways lay in a casket at the front of this church, but they had already made it to the figurative balcony of heaven from which this morning they are cheering us on. From which this morning they are saying, go another 42 years. They are cheering us on. Now, rather than that becoming folk theology or rather than that becoming a misleading uh, interpretation, the great cloud of witnesses live in the memory of all of us because our dimension is not just an earthly one. Our dimension as a follower of Jesus encompasses the earthly and the heavenly. It encompasses the here and now, but it also encompasses the there and the then. The key word in this 12th chapter and the first verse, among many other words, is the word since. Anytime you see the word since in any context of Scripture, we need to refer to what the since means. And the writer said that since we are surrounded by these people, there are many other reasons to do the work of God. There are many other reasons to be faithful in the mission of the church. But in this context in Hebrews chapter 2, 12, it is since we are surrounded by those who've gone on before us. 
let us throw off everything that hinders. There are some things that we carry with us through life's journey that should not be thrown off. There are lessons in carrying those things. There are thorns in the flesh that even the Apostle Paul had, and praying to get rid of that three times, he heard from God, he heard from the Lord saying, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm not talking about throwing those things off. I'm not talking about throwing off sickness or discouragement or depression or what would be described as our lot in life. I am talking about the things that will hold us back because sometimes the lot in life draws us closer to the Lord. But the things that have a tendency to draw us away from him are the things that we must throw off. Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30. He said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Now that is probably the part of that scripture that is most often quoted. But the scripture goes on to say, Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. These words of Jesus are so important for us in learning what we need to throw off and learning what we need to put on. Imagine two oxen who are yoked together for the purposes of plowing a field. They are yoked together and one will go where the other goes. If they go on a straight line, that's great. If they go off course, that's a problem. When Jesus says that we are to take his yoke upon us, first of all, he already is yoked. And he is yoked to the Father. And when he says, take my yoke, it's as if he's taken the other half of what he's already yoked to. And he's saying, this is a perfect fit for you. And if you put this on, you will walk everywhere I walk. You will go everywhere I go. And I will never lead you astray. If you take my yoke upon you, we will be harnessed together, not just for 42 years, but for eternity. And those who are referred to in the first verse are those who have been yoked together with the Lord Jesus Christ. No man can serve two masters, our Lord has already said. And that's because once yoked to him, we will never, ever have to throw anything off that he doesn't direct us to throw off. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything 
that hinders. Secondly, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. It is a little bit harder now because sin actually trips us up. Now, you might be asking, why is the national director of the Church of the Nazarene talking to us holiness people about sin? We simply don't do it. Well, it might be good for us to listen to a sermon preached by the Methodist founder, Reverend John Wesley, sermon number 13. That's what they did. They numbered their sermons back in those days. Sermon number 13 called Sin in the Believer. Sin in the Believer. He used 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 as the text. That says, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. And we believe that with all our hearts. So the question we need to ask is, what was Wesley getting at? Why would you have such a sermon title? Why, why would you draw us into that discussion? After all, our sins, as George testified, our sins have been taken care of. But here's the question. Can Christ Jesus be where sin is? The answer to that is an overwhelming yes. If you read the Gospels, you will find over and over again that that's where Jesus deposited himself. In the presence of sinners, therefore, in the presence of sin. In fact, if he did not be in the same place as sin or sinners, nobody could be saved. Because it's from that condition that we cry out to the Lord who is always nearby. So can Jesus be where sin is? Yes. Here's the difference. But can he reign where sin reigns? Overwhelmingly, no. No. There is a difference between where sin is and how sin reigns and how sin controls. And since there is only one master, the Lord Jesus will leave us to the consequences of our choices. And if we choose to let sin reign in our mortals' bodies, he will not fight us on that. He will wait graciously and lovingly for us to come to our senses and ask for his forgiveness. Then he comes and he dwells. Then he comes and he unravels the tangled mess and the sin that so easily entangles us. And for 40 Two years, Rosewood Church has been about the business of untangling the mess. Amen. For 42 years, the pastor 
and the team and the great lay people and all of you have been about the business of untangling the messes in our lives, in our children's lives, in our extended families' lives, in the lives of those we go to school with and we work with. And it's a beautiful thing to watch that. And the great cloud of witnesses who were once here doing the same thing are saying, keep on doing that. Keep on doing that. We all have a drawer at home full of leftover chargers and wires and all sorts of things. And no matter how often you tidy that drawer, it seems that the next time you go to it, the tangled demon has been in there and just made a mess. I've been embarrassed more than once trying to put my earphones on. I still haven't graduated to the wireless ones. And they are in the briefcase beautifully wrapped up. And when I go to get them out, it takes me 10 minutes to put them on. Have you ever gone fishing and spent most of the afternoon untangling the line? Well, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. Once the entanglement goes, we can now run. We are no longer being tripped up, we are no longer being held back, we are no longer being weighted down, and now we move into that runner's high experience. They break the runner's exhaustion barrier. Now, I'm not a runner, but I am a walker, and I know what it's like when you sort of get your second wind and you feel like you'd go on forever. 42 years is a grand time for a second wind. It's a grand time, isn't it, for us now to get this endorphin release that'll take us to a beautiful place in God's prescription for Rosewood Church of the Nazarene. They're not just physical endorphins. They are spiritual endorphins that will take us to that place. But we have to do it together with him. The country of Burundi has gone through civil war or civil wars and many people who fled to Tanzania before returning to rebuild their own country have gone through the exercise of receiving help. And there is a, 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 a statement that has become very familiar amongst Burundians, and it's this. Whatever you do for me but without me, you do against me. And so as world relief agencies flood to different parts of the world and they bring the solution from wherever they come, this is true of everywhere. Whatever you do for me, but without me, you actually do it against me. It could be the same thing said of our partnership with the Lord Jesus. Have you ever noticed how he doesn't do everything for us? Have you ever noticed how he gives us the ability to be able to think things through and to come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord? 
Have you ever noticed how he gives us the opportunity to be creative and respond to crises? He's always there. So we must never forget that we are in partnership with the Lord and we cannot expect and we must not expect him to do everything for us. You haven't in the first 42, don't in the next. For whatever he does for us, but without us, actually becomes against us. We are totally dependent on him to run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. He marks it out, and then he says, ready, set, go. I'll be with you every step of the way. I am there all of the time but I want you to follow it. And remember, we are yoked with him, so wherever he takes us, we'll be okay. Wherever he turns, we will follow. Oh, and the great cloud of witnesses that have already done it are saying, yeah, just do what he says. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, Throw off everything that hinders, the sin that easily entangles. Run with perseverance, the race marked out. And let us fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and who is the perfecter of our faith. Who is the author of Rosewood Church and the perfecter of Rosewood Church. He is the author of the mission of God and he is the perfecter of the mission of God. And we are called to keep our eyes on Jesus. I'm finishing with this thought. As we look at each other through these eyes, this is a work that is miraculous. Light hits the cornea. The cornea is a dome-shaped frontal part of the eye. That light then travels to the retina, which is just behind it, marginally behind it. And then it moves to the optic nerve. And the optic nerve, that's why it's so serious if that nerve gets damaged, the optic nerve to the brain, so you have the cornea, the retina, the optic nerve, and then the brain translates the signals it receives to make sense of what we've seen. So the question is this. Do we see with our eyes or do we see with our brains? Technically speaking, we see with our brains. You, you actually see with our brains. Because... Nothing can be interpreted, nothing can be made sense of without the brain translating the signals into clarity. Mark Twain said, you can't trust your eyes if your imagination is out of focus. There have been things that you have seen in the 42 years of your ministry that you wouldn't have believed it if you hadn't seen it with your own brain. You wouldn't believe it if you hadn't seen it with your own eyes. 
You wouldn't believe it. And as God shapes us for the next, oh, I don't know how many more years, he is shaping us with, listen to it, from Philippians. Not the eyes of Christ, but the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. And so that's where the signals are going to come as you embark on a new chapter, another chapter. That as you begin to see things, you see things that are interpreted by the mind of Christ for your church. As you look out onto the fields that are white onto harvest, it's the mind of Christ that will help you reach them. It's the direction of Christ. See, we can see them and do nothing about it. But it is the message that is now received, calculated, translated, and returned to us as to how we do it. So let's complete the loop. Hebrews 12, the second part of the second verse. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3, consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Oh, there's an awful lot of reasons today to lose heart. There's, there's an awful lot of reasons out there to be discouraged. But if we follow the mind of Christ, if we are yoked to him, if we remember that there's a great cloud of witnesses that are saying, keep on going, then you will run the great race until he says, job done, mission accomplished. Perhaps today there's no better way to see Jesus than to see him in the celebration of the Lord's Supper. Because we're not only seeing him with our eyes, we are actually engaging him with our minds. When we enter into the partnership of communion, we can do it in probably no better way than as a 42-year-old parish of believers. Congratulations. May the Lord richly bless you now and always. Amen.